Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. We're in a series uh, in the book of Ephesians, if you're a guest with us. And uh, this is actually part two of our message in one block of texts. Uh, do you guys remember last week what we talked about? Uh, we talked about how God kind of builds this family and builds this people uh, from a rubble of him crashing down a wall of hostility, right? And we talked about Ty Pennington and Extreme Home Makeover. And we talked about this grand reveal that God does in the gospel. And you and I are the grand reveal. God bringing people of different ethnicities and backgrounds and political views. And he makes us become one family and then shows the world what God can do. And this week, because of the power of this text, we broke it up into two weeks for us really to talk about this week, the dividing walls that sometimes are in our own hearts. And so we wanted to slow down and make sure we did two weeks on this because over the past few years with pandemic and race riots and political upheaval, there's been lots of chance for us to build walls, haven't there? And if you've been married or in a community group ever in your life, you know what walls of hostility can be like. If you've got roommates, friends, coworkers, you know what that's like. But what we don't know at times are these hidden walls of hostility. These things that kind of go up in us that put us against each other. And what we're going to learn today is the gospel breaks all sorts of walls down. But if we don't kind of understand how our superiority or feelings of pride, those sins kind of uh, stack us up against one another, we won't see how the gospel can break those things down. So we're going to unpack today uh, part two of the message, and we're going to call this message this, if you're taking notes, a renewed humanity, how the gospel breaks down hostility and it creates unity. Uh, as we begin, I just want you to think for just a moment about how many rivalries there are in the world. Uh, you think about Republican and Democrat, you look at history and you see North versus South, uh, you might be in the room and you see my Mac computer and you're like, I'm a PC guy or girl. Uh, you've got Coke and Pepsi. You've got NSYNC and Backstreet Boys for my 90s fans. Maybe if you're movie fans, it was Team Edward or Team Jacob in Twilight. And then worst of all, Red Sox versus Yankees. Boo, right? There are rivalries everywhere, right? But there's also serious rivalries, aren't there? The rivalries between tribes and races, gangs and different groups. And these rivalries are really serious, aren't they? They shed blood and there's anger and there's violence. There's real things and tragic things that happen. And today in this passage, we're going to see how God through Jesus brings rivalries together. One of the miracles of the gospel is that God can make enemies into friends and then transform them into a family. And guys, that's what today's message is about because that's what today's passage is about. Guys, today we'll see that the cross of Jesus both has a vertical effect and a horizontal effect. The cross has a vertical, if you literally look at the shape of the cross, you're seeing a vertical thing and a horizontal thing. The vertical thing is that God through Jesus is reconciling you to him, but the cross of Jesus also reconciles you to other people 
that you would not really want to spend time with or hang out with outside of the cross. So listen, Jesus, we're going to learn today is we're going to learn about how God brought us to him and how God brings us together. And then hopefully after this message, you and I will have this renewed desire to promote this thing called gospel reconciliation, where God calls us to go and bring the message of Jesus to our city and our neighbors and friends to help them reconcile vertically to God and that you and I would be people of reconciliation to other people in the city that are not like you, that don't think like you, that don't look like you, that don't vote like you. So in this text from verses 11 through 22, there's sort of three movements that we see in this text. And here are the three things. Where You might be on the screen here in a second. The three things are, you're gonna see our hostility on display And then you're going to see God's identity and activity. And then you're going to see how those together and God's power brings a restored humanity. Hostility, identity, renewed humanity. So guys, let's look at the very first thing here is this hostility so that you can can understand the walls that are in our hearts so God can break them down. Uh, Look at verse 11. In verse 11, Paul begins this section by saying this, remember, Remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. So if you're studying the Bible often and you're with our church, uh, we look at every word, every phrase, and we're trying to understand what it meant then and how it applies to us now. And that word Gentiles in the Greek is this simple word, ethne. And it means ethnic groups or all people groups. The unity discussed in this passage is a unity that's totally different than any expression of unity that we see in any sphere of society today. And this unity that God can produce is so marvelous that fast forward to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, we see that the gospel is this great mystery, but it's a mystery on display for the world so that people can see how rivalries, like the Jewish and the Gentile people that we'll study in a moment, can become enemies, become family to become friends. It's a mystery that's on display so we could know God. Or as Paul would say, that these enemies can become one new person. Guys, the gospel is truly amazing. Now, now think about whatever hostility that we talked about, the rivalries we talked about before. We see them in sports, we see them in culture, we see it in politics. But I would venture to say that one of the greatest pictures of hostility we see is this group of Jewish people versus the Gentile people. And what we see in this text is that they're in a new church together and they've had lots of bad baggage and history together. And through both of their trust in Jesus, they're now a part of this faith family and they go to community groups together. They're taking care of their kids and co-a kids together. They're at the family picnics together. They go on retreats together. And there begins to kind of build up some animosity with them. Their animosity is deep and it's complex. And as we look at this text, we're seeing how these two different people are name calling, they're hostile, and they have a lot of hatred towards one another. And as we looked at this text last week, we saw that their hatred revolves around a couple things. If you're taking notes, the first thing that their hostility is around is race. Interesting how that's still around today. Race. You know, the Jewish people would boast that they had the blood of Abraham running through their veins, which was the Jewish father of their religion. They had Jewish blood in them and they would say, I've got the blood of Abraham running through me, the blood of Isaac, the blood of Jacob. 
and we don't have the blood of Esau running through our veins like you or the blood of Ishmael like you Gentiles. There was this deep racial hostility, a deep animosity and deep rivalry between these two groups. Not only race separated them, but also number two, religion separated them. See, the Gentiles didn't know the God of Israel at first. That's why this text says that they were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They were without God and hopeless in the world. The Gentiles didn't know the history of this God. And with that, there was this cultural animosity that was associated, right? Because the Jewish people had their own religious culture, the way they dressed, they celebrated religious festivities. They even followed their own moral laws, their own civil laws and ceremonial laws that the Gentile people didn't. See, these groups were separated by race, culture, and religion. So if we back up, do you see what Paul's kind of doing here for us? He's giving us an illustration that explains a larger principle that all of us struggle with. Listen, anytime we're given a gift or an intellectual ability or beauty or any sort of gift, we are tempted to take that gift and look down our noses on others. That gift becomes a basis for hostility. The more the gift of it you have, the more problems you have, the more hostility towards others that are in your heart. Where one group is different or they perceive themselves better than another, hostility begins to rise. And that's what's happened with the Jewish people. And that's what we'll learn is happening at times within us. See, again, the Jews were God's chosen people, meaning that God chose to put his love on them to give them his laws, to lead them and to guide them directly like a king would his people. The Jews had received a gift, right? They were supposed to be a city on a hill. They had great laws that God gave them to help them understand who God is and to love each other in their culture. Listen, God gave them these wonderful laws for them to be like a light to the nations. Like the Jewish laws demanded that they would care for the poor and that was very unique in the culture at the time, that there was a group of people that were supposed to care for them, marginalized. That was not a societal practice in their day and age outside of the Jewish people. In fact, here's an example. Uh, you weren't, if you were a farmer, which many of them were agriculturalist, uh, they were told not to harvest all of their grain, but they were told to leave some of their grain behind for the poor to pick up and keep as much as they desired. That was one of God's plan to keep care for the poor. They also had this law that the year of Jubilee, which was like every 50 years, all the land went back to the original owner 50 years prior. And this was so that no one got extremely rich or extremely poor. God gave them laws of integrity and justice. And that gift became something really prideful in the Jewish heart at this time. But here's the problem. Eventually, somewhere along the way, the Jews had this reason to think more highly of themselves because of the gift that they were given. They took that gift of the law and it made them feel better than their Jewish or their Gentile neighbors. They had a sense of superiority. And that's why you find in verse 11, the Jewish people started calling the Gentiles 
the uncircumcision. It's like their ancient way of saying, na 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 boo boo, I'm better than you. The uncircumcision was this derogatory term that they would call the other people. And again, what Paul's doing in this text is really illustrating what's true of all cultures, of all people everywhere. It's true of you and me. Anytime, friends, we're given a gift, we're tempted to look down our noses at others. That gift becomes the basis of hostility. And we see that on display with the Jewish people. And guys, listen, if we're honest, I think we're all really guilty of this in one way or another. Myself as like the president of the club of this, like I'm an Enneagram three. If you guys are Enneagram fans or if you're uh, like Myers-Briggs fans, like I've got a really high J and so I can be pretty critical and uh, harsh. I'm an Enneagram three, which means I'm, I'm always about something being efficient or effective and I've got lists and things. And if you're not a list person, then I'm like, you're disorganized. How do you live your life? I am better than you. Is what happens in my heart. I'm a type a, a, a person and I'm an extroverted person. And if you're introvert and don't spend time with other people, I'm like, what's wrong with you? And I begin to look down my nose at others thinking, well, if you just was like that I was, if you were this Enneagram type or if you were this a personality type, then, then I'm better than you or you're worse than me. That happens in my own hearts. What about you? What are those areas that you are gifted in or gave an ability with that you have found that it's a place of hostility. For example, politics. Uh, many of us in this room may snub our noses at those who are maybe less progressive than us. You may just think that you're slightly better than those other red states beneath us. You may scoff at Fox News or maybe conservative agendas, or let's flip the coin. Maybe you're a Republican and you have great disdain for how our state and our country is operating right now. And on both sides, you begin to feel the wall of hostility building up inside against others who are not like you, right? Maybe it's not politics, but let's just consider education for a moment. Many times we often measure others based on their education level. Guys, this should be honest. Uh, do you get a little like a little satisfaction when someone asks where you went to school and you're like, Harvard, MIT, Boston University, Boston College. I got my master's in blank. I got my PhD in blank. Here's the people that I know. Here's the job I landed. Here's the promotion I got. And we begin to sort of elevate ourselves over another. Or maybe you get peeved when someone with less, less educational credentials gets that job or status that you want. Or maybe after knowing someone's educational level and you realize it's beneath yours, you begin to devalue their opinions on any matter because you, of course, have your master's or your PhD. And so, of course, in general, you know more than them right? And we begin to devalue others' worth, their experiences, their intelligence. This begins to happen in all of us, right? And a slow wall of hostility begins to build. And then inside your wall is people that are just like you and people outside that wall, people that are not like you. Guys, we could go on and on, right? Guys, just consider for a moment the possibility of walls that have been built up inside your own heart towards other people in our church. Just consider for a moment. If you're single, 
what are your thoughts about people that are married in our church? How do you feel about them? What do you think about them? If you're married, what are your thoughts about singles in our church? If you're a leader who has helped establish this new church of two years and you're a community group leader, or maybe you're on the worship team or tech team, and how do you consider others that don't serve as much as you do in the church? How do you feel about them? Maybe you've got your reform theology and you're like Mr. John Calvin himself. And you've got systematic theology in your back pocket. You've got John Calvin in your front pocket. You've got Martin Luther. And you're like, man, I know my reform theology. How do you feel about others in your community group that don't have the same systematic view of theology that you do? Or how about generation this or generation that in our city around us? Or maybe there's that one person here, community group or in your workplace that gets on your last nerve, Right? And all of these things we begin to find our identity in and therefore makes us feel superior to them. And where you feel superior, the walls of hostility begin to form. All right, so if we all agree that we all have this problem, right? All of us have this issue, right? It's not if you're a Christian or if you're a non-Christian or if you're white or if you're brown or black. It's not like, this is like an all offending party. All of us do this, right? The heart of racism culture wars and hostility towards other people is always pride. It's always thinking that we, that I, that you are more superior to someone else. And guys, all of this is in God's mind when he is writing this chapter through Paul to them and then eventually to us. In chapter two, verse 14, we see the resolution of how this hostile wall begins to come down. And what's the thing that does it? The cross. Paul is telling us that through the cross, God breaks down the hostile walls of division, animosity, and rivalry between any groups or individuals of people. Because it's in the cross that he takes two groups of people and gives them peace and makes them one family. We believe that you are reconciled to God, then you can have peace and that peace can help you bring peace with other people that you wouldn't naturally have peace with. That's the segment that we're gonna talk about. That's the first movement, the hostility, the walls that are in our heart. And now let's move from hostility to how it gets fixed. How does the cross fix the hostility? that you have in your marriage, that you have in your friendships, that you have with your coworkers, that you have with races. What do we do? And we see that it's God's identity and his activity can fix the hostility in us. So how does this work? How does this happen? Listen, the source of hostility between people is pride in our own identity. So what does God do? So what God does is that he shares his core identity in other people so that hostile wall can be broken down. Does that make sense? That's what we're gonna unpack in a moment. Let me say that again. Since the source of our hostility between people is pride in our own identity, then if we can share the same identity with Christ, then that dividing wall is broken, right? So that's what God does. He gives his own identity to everyone. 
He says, you're a child, you're a child, you're a child, you're a child, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're chosen, you're chosen, you're chosen, you're adopted, you're adopted, you're adopted, you're redeemed, you're redeemed, you're redeemed, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed. You have the spirit, you have the spirit, you're the spirit. And he just pours out who he is to other people. And they give them the same identity. So that identity that they found their superiority in is now crushed because their old identity is gone and their new identity has come. Guys, this is really powerful when we get it. So let me read the, read the text to you again. Verse 13, we looked at the hostility. Let's look now at God's activity. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, listen, it's talking about his identity. For he himself is the peace. Not just something that he did, but literally his identity wrapped on you is what gives you peace with God. We keep reading. And they've, he, his, this peace of God makes us both one and breaks down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By, how does he do it? Verse 15, by, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man or one new person in the place of two people or two groups. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And so then here's a summary statement. So he came and preached peace to you who are far off, which were the Gentile people, and peace to those who were near because they had the law of God. They learned things about him. And it's through him that two groups of people, two hostile rivalries can have one access in one spirit to one father. To give us peace with one another, Jesus must first reconcile us to God. And then that unifies our identity to him. Does that make sense? So whatever makes you and I feel that we are better than someone is just simply not true in Christ. Guys, that's why at our church, this is challenging, but we've decided from the very beginning, we're not trying to do age-specific, background-specific, educational specific, generational specific community groups. Because we want to rub shoulders with people that are not like us. I don't want the master's group, the parents with kids group, the singles group. We don't, we don't want that in our church. Now we have a college community group because of the unique phase of life and the ministry opportunities we can do on the college campus, but that doesn't mean that our college students just get to hide away, or that means that we don't just not invest in our college students, right? So guys, in our church, we must see how God has given us all his identity. So no matter what you do, who you voted for, what background you have, what you've done, we have one identity because God gave it to you. See, all hostility stems from groups of people trying to establish their identity and their dominance over another that's what hostility is. And that's what this passage is teaching us, that when we become a Christian, we do retain our cultural affinity, but it's no longer our primary identity. Does that make sense? God's not throwing out your ethnicity. He's not throwing out your language. He's not throwing out the foods that you prefer. He's not throwing out your family's history or your ethnic history. We retain our cultural affinity, but it's no longer our primary identity because Christ has granted us a new identity. And when others have that same identity, it creates unity. So what must happen in our culture? When we see a black versus white war, 
When we see something, police officers in urban communities, what do we do? Yes, we should legislate. Yes, we bring education. Yes, we bring care. Yes, we bring prayer. But we must bring the gospel because what brings those people together? The identity of Jesus, right? If they can see how both people are offending parties, forgiven in the cross of Jesus, Jesus takes his identity and puts it on both of them equally. And then they realize, hey, we have more together that's similar than what we have apart. Guys, I'm convinced this is the case. Guys, if you follow uh, Jackie Hill Perry or her husband, Preston, uh, they tell this really beautiful story of a police officer, an African-American young man that was in the community. And as he tells the story, this police officer actually planted evidence on this young man, individual, and this man went to jail for years. This man got out of jail. He had heard the gospel through a, a prison ministry. This young man heard the gospel and he came out and, and began, started attending a church where so happened to be the police officer that had put the evidence on him. The police officer also had come to Christ during that other man's imprisonment. They found each other, they came to each other and they said, hey, I need to forgive. I need your forgiveness. Will you forgive me? The man in jail even said, hey, would you forgive me for the hate I had in my heart? And then they started being in the same community group, the same community group. A man who was locked up unjustly with something that we've seen in our culture very present. And now these two enemies became brothers and like literally lived out life together. And you know, there's some hard conversations, right? It's not just rainbows, butterflies, and Putin sparkles. Like that's not how it rolls, right? We know that. But they had something more in common in Jesus than what they had different. Jesus canceled the penalty that that police officer man should have owed. There was reconciliation, legal conversations, all of that indeed, yes, had to happen. But it was through the cross that these men could be in life together and genuinely share community. Guys, I'm convinced that this must happen in our hearts, in our city, in our culture, but it starts right here in these seats, right? It starts with us. What hostile walls are in you? Who irks you? Is it me? Is it your community group? Is someone you work with? What does that look like? And guys, if you don't believe me of the power of this, again, look at verse 14. For God himself is our peace. He's made us both one and broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. He put the sins of both groups in him and he killed it. And then he gave them a new identity. He abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. That was the wall that all the Jewish people had up. Look at my laws, look at my ordinances, look at all these things that you can't do Gentiles. And Jesus says, I'm gonna take all those and I'm gonna accomplish them perfectly. Jews, you are not able to do this because you have sin. I'm gonna do them all perfectly so that anyone in me looks like they've done that perfectly because what I've been doing for them is now your identity. And this is what Jesus has done. Christ reconciled the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles and he broke down what stood against them and now they are a family. Guys, this is mind blowing. And if you look at the study of the, the church of Ephesus, the Ephesus, the Ephesian church was a church planting church. From this group of people, they started other churches in the areas around them. Guys, wouldn't that be amazing if that was in Coa Brighton, that we could plant a church in Austin, we could plant a church in Newton, we could plant a church in Watertown, because from our diversity, we can begin to love and care for people that are not like us. And we can start churches that care for people and bring the gospel so they can be vertically reconciled to God and then horizontally reconciled. And we see something transform in our city. Guys, this is real stuff. 
This is, re- this is not just doctrine. It's not just church talk. This is real that can transform us. But it's got to start in us. Guys, I lost where in the world I was in my notes. Uh, I'll give you just one second. <laughs> This is what happens when my wife and my kids aren't in town. I get a little bit more time to spend on my message and then I get going wild here. Okay, let's just start here. Okay. <laughs> the gospel says of me this, I am first Christian, second white. I'm first Christian, second educated. First Christian, then husband, then father. So listen, in Christ, listen, In Christ, an old, suburban, white Christian woman is closer to a young, urban, black Christian young man than she is to her own unbelieving father. And how did Christ do this? He took on the hostility that we deserve on the cross. Look again at verse 16. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Reconcile us to God first. He did it in his body through the cross. And therefore he killed what was standing against us because he fulfilled it inside of him. Guys, this is the power of the gospel that we must understand. When we have feelings of superiority towards each other, we must see how that Jesus did not look at us as inferior. Jesus is the God of the universe. He was on a completely different level than us. He could have just looked down his nose at us and struck us down in our sin, but instead he took on the hostility that we deserved on himself and he became our substitute before God the Father. We got, he, excuse me, he got what we deserved, which was death. And then we get what he deserved, which was peace with God. Christ has reconciled us with God and thus he can reconcile us to one another. And that's what leads us to our very last point this evening. We looked at the first movement, our hostility. We looked at the second movement, which is God's identity and has activity and how that brings people to be one. And then last, this is a beautiful summary of this passage. God gives us through Paul, this new picture of the restored and unified humanity. The last thing I want to do with you guys this evening is to follow Paul and his vision casting moment for what it looks like for us to be Coa Brighton. When the rubber meets the road, what does it look like to be a people who've been reconciled to God and reconciled to one another? What does this look like? We see that this new humanity pictured here is the local church. And rightfully so, people get down on the church all the time. They say things like, I like Christianity and I like Jesus, but I hate the church. I understand that sentiment. I understand that there are many that are burned by the church in the past, especially different cultures you grow up in. If there's racism in the church or hate or a certain ethnic group that gets celebrated, of course, there's gonna be this sort of feeling towards the church. But I wanna cast a vision because God through Paul does for what a church is supposed to look like. And it's right there, Coa Brighton. This is who we are. This is who we are, need to uh, not become because we are this in Christ, but we need to act like who we already are. Verse 19, here's the summary. So then you are no longer 
strangers. These are things that separated them before, right? You are no longer strangers, no longer aliens. You are no longer educated, uneducated. You are no longer black and white. You are no longer millennial Gen Z. You're no longer this or that. You are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the same household of God. You're built on the foundation, the predictions, the prophecies of the apostles and the prophets. You're built on Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone where God uh, builds the whole entire house in whom the whole structure is being joined together. And we're growing into a holy temple, people that hate sin, but love sinners. In him, you're also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Listen, in this text right here, as we conclude, or begin to conclude, because you know how I work, right? Kind of begin to conclude. Um, Paul describes the church with these three illustrations. He calls us what? Citizens, members, and a dwelling place. He calls us citizens in God's kingdom, members of the same household, and a dwelling place for God. The vision that Paul gives us here is that through the cross of Christ, we have individually been reconciled to Christ. And through reconciling us, all of us, he divides and breaks down all of that rubble, all of that wall. And he takes the rubble of our sin that he's broken down, all the hostility, and he's used the rubble to build up a temple where he himself resides. So guys, as we conclude, here are the applications from being a citizen, from being a member, and from being a temple. Two points of application for our church. Listen, this this. This text gives us, guys, no room for attitudes of superiority at City on a Hill Church. There is no room for those attitudes at our church. You are not, I am not, we are not more superior to anyone else. In fact, to be a Christian is the acceptance that we are sinners in need of a savior, right? So why would we think that we're better than anyone else if the foundation of our faith is us acknowledging that we're broken, hurting, sinful people against this God and the only way to be made right is from what someone else has done. So there is no room for attitudes of superiority at our church. We have to make room for people who are different than us. Paul's vision for the church is for us to live in a community full of people who aren't just like you, but have the same savior as you, people who look different and act different, value different things, and maybe people who are just plain weird, like me. The church of Christ is a collection of people from all ethnicities and backgrounds, and we are encouraged in this text to trust one another. Jesus came not as a white man with brown hair and blue eyes. Jesus came with olive color skin, potentially green or brown eyes. He was not like the majority of people that are in our church. Would Jesus have room in our own church with his culture being blue collar? Would he be accepted here going out every day as a carpenter? Would he feel welcome here? I understand that all Christians and churches have not always understood this or sought to carry it out. Christians have exhibited uh, racism for centuries. Even some of the people that we have even referred to in our church before as great theologians had slaves in their household. Guys, at our church, there's no room for racism, classism, sexism, or any other ism 
in the gospel. That's the first thing. There's no room for these attitudes because Christ has killed the hostility. The second thing is that you, in particular, you, your story, your background, your sin struggles, what you did last night, what you did today, what no one else knows about, you belong here. No matter where you're from, you belong here. No matter how you feel right now, if you're in Christ, you belong here. Even if you're not a Christian, we welcome you to belong here. Some of you may not have any friends here. You belong here. Some of you have a ton of friends at our church. Make more room for more friends. You may have to give up some of your time with your closer friends to reach out for those who are sitting in this church that are different than you to make sure they feel loved for you. This is the goal with community groups. Again, we want people to have a place of belonging in community groups. We want people to know the love of Jesus and the care of Jesus. And that's why, again, we do community groups a certain way. Community groups are the vehicle that we have at City on a Hill Church for people to get connected with one another and for us to encourage each other with the truth of the gospel. So therefore we must display the gospel, like look like what the gospel can do. This is why community groups are not just a Bible study, but we're a group of people reminding one another of the truths of the gospel and living on mission together. Are community groups at our church perfect? Absolutely not. Is your community group perfect? Well, if you're in mine, uh, of course it is. I'm just kidding. Um, Matt and Jordan do a great job, but no, no community group is perfect. They're messy and that's necessary that they're messy. That's why we built them like this. And if you're not even in a community group, I would encourage you to become part of one. Come visit us at our connections table on the way out. And I would encourage you, don't sign up for one of the people that are just like you in that group. Guys, listen, the gospel allows you to let go of our previous identities and things we found superiority in that we saw as primary at one time, we can let them go, whether it's I am white or I am black or I am brown or I'm educated or I'm a mother or I'm all natural or I'm vaccinated or not vaccinated. I'm professional, I'm educated, I'm fashionable, I'm blue collar, whatever that is. We now identify with the identity of Christ. When you identify completely with Christ, you cannot therefore see anyone as inferior to you. When you identify with Christ, you cannot be a racist. When you identify with Christ, there is no one to look your nose down at because you realize that in Christ, we are all equally lived for, died for, and rose for in Christ. And therefore, church, this is why we must take the message of the vertical reconciliation with God to the world so we can even watch the world be reconciled to one another. Groups and rivalries that have never gotten along, this is what fixes that. Let me end with this concluding story here. If you guys remember, uh, there's a famous missionary who went to Ecuador, Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was going to a tribe that was known in his mission group as a hostile people. They would kill any outcomers that would join their tribe or come near their tribe. And so over the course of a year, Jim Elliott and his small team of family and friends would fly an airplane and drop packages of care and love and food to this community. And one day they decided, let's try to touch down on a local uh, sort of inlet to reach and love these people with the gospel. 
Upon landing, the tribe was confused. They were not aware what was happening. They were trying to protect their family and friends. And these missionary families, these men who flew in the airplane that had dropped packages of love and care for the course of a year were taken down with spears unto death. These two hostile environments led to one group dying. Well, the wives got news of this back at camp. They tried to radio into the airplane, heard nothing back, and then later on found that this tribe had taken the lives of their husbands, the husbands that tried to love this tribe. And the hostility that was in their hearts, the rage and the anger, the sadness that their children would not grow up and know their fathers, as these are people that are in their 20s and 30s that have gone and served in this Ecuadorian area, are broken and angry and confused and frustrated. But they recognized that the same sin that this tribe had committed in murder, they had committed towards God and others with the hate that they had in their own hearts towards this tribe. And it was the power of the gospel in them that was allowed these women to forgive this tribe. And then they themselves would eventually go into this tribe and share the gospel with them. They were accepted by this tribe and began to live with the same people that took their husband's lives. They watched them come to faith in the savior. They watched a unity happen with the people who had took their husband's lives. They lived together. Their kids grew up with the people that had murdered their dad. This is what the gospel can do. My friends in this room, this is what we've got to take seriously in us. The gospel can bring us together with people that we would never traditionally be with. And it starts with you, it starts with you, it starts with you, it starts with me. Where in your life can this be applicable? Where in your workplace, where in your neighborhood, where in your heart is there a wall of hostility? And you can see that the same thing that grew up in you, that wall to make you angry at someone else, you've done the same thing towards God. And he took that sin on himself to break down that wall so you could have a relationship with him And he wants you to exchange the same thing that he gave to you, that grace for that wall that you built against him. He wants to take that grace they gave to you and now give it to another. And this changes families and stories and histories. And therefore our church that's called City Upon a Hill, City on a Hill that we were started with, then we begin to see our city be like a city on a hill with many of our friends and neighbors knowing the story of the gospel. Let's pray. 